0: Hey guys, it's Rashita. And Amishi. And you're listening to Cut the Frills.
1: Thank
0: you. Hey guys, welcome back to Cut the Frills. Today's guest is super duper fun, and um, she's my communication teacher, Mrs. Adayemi. Uh, it's so nice to have you today.
1: I'm so happy to be here, girls. Awesome, Amishi and Arceus. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming. Um, so we wanted to kind of start off and ask you if you could give us an insight into your childhood and background and how that influenced your life today.
1: Okay, so I have a very different background. Um, I am, uh, okay, well, basically I was born in, I'm a naturalized citizen. So I was born in, um, Vienna, Austria. My parents moved there after they left Nigeria. So both of my parents are Nigerian, um, born and raised in Nigeria. And then um, while they were in Europe and my dad was working in Europe, they had me in Vienna. Vienna. And so um, my first language actually was German. And then I came to America. And when I started school in America, when I started school in America, they told my parents, like, she needs to learn English. Because back then, in the 80s, (laughs) Americans weren't very friendly with, foreigners, let's just be real with that, I'll just be real with that. Mm -hmm. So um, when I came to America, I didn't speak English, so my parents taught me English, and I forgot the German, because at home they speak my dad's dialect, which is um, my dad's tribe, what we call tribes in Nigeria. Um, My dad is from the Yoruba tribe, and my mom is from the Igbo tribe, so the Yoruba tribe is West West Nigeria, and Igbo is East Nigeria. And so my dad didn't speak my mom's language, but my mom speaks his language. So they spoke um, Yoruba. And so picking up the English as a child and hearing the home language being Yoruba, I forgot the German. So um, I'm not fluent in German anymore, but my mom was like, it's still there. So, um, but I just really remember growing up in the 80s, how, I don't know, I always tell people, it's so funny that coming to America is coming out. Coming to America, too, is coming out this week, this coming Friday. And I remember being, you know, growing up in a Nigerian home. There wasn't a lot of Nigerians in Houston at the time like there are now. And um, I was, like, the only one. So my hair was different. You know, I ate different food. And it was just, it was just really, it was not fun, I guess. I guess I could just say that I wasn't, like, pro-Night Africa like then. And I would tell people all the time that nobody in America was pro Africa at the time, even black people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, until about, so coming to America came out, I, I really saw a change. Everybody was all of a sudden like proud to be from Africa. I'm like, what? Y'all yeah, was calling me African booty scratcher last week. <laughs> so um, it's uh, different. It's different now. It's totally different now. And there's a lot more culture here in the Houston area. But at the time, mm-hmm. um, like Seven Lakes wasn't even thought of, right? That was like rice fields out there. So the furthest outside of Houston was a And that was like the frontier, like the suburb where everybody was moving to at the time. And um, my parents came to Houston because they were going to school and they went to TSU. And so I was like the only Nigerian kid, really the only foreign kid. There was just a lot, of, I mean, it was few and far between, let's just say that. <laughs> A-Leaf, A-Leaf looks totally different now, but it was not, that was not the case growing up. So it was only me. And then towards the 90s, um, you started seeing an influx of different type of cultures moving into Houston. And so mm-hmm. like growing up, I didn't have a lot of Nigerian friends, but my sister who's just four years younger I me, mean, she had a ton. like all her girlfriends, at least one or two of them were Nigerian. So it was really different growing up. Um, but that whole being from Africa thing was, it was hard for me as a, as a child, I should say. Just a lot. It was just different. Yeah,
0: totally understandable. Like it's it's so funny to think that it was just like twenty years ago, but the differences are huge, right? It's
1: very huge. Yeah, it's, it's definitely huge. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Even now, like moving is still very hard. So I can only imagine how hard it must be for you. Like especially like a different country. I've only moved states, and even then, that was right. like such a struggle for me. So right. yeah. I totally give you kudos for that and respect you that you are still going strong. So, yeah, so moving on to the next question. As a teacher yourself, what do you think needs to be modified and addressed in the education system and curriculum so children and teens learn to not discriminate because of race and ethnicity?
1: So I'm just going to be real, real with y'all. Y'all doing a really good topic. So basically, the whole education system, period, is just pretty much whitewashed. And I'm just going to say it. It is. I agree. It's really really whitewashed. So you have this whole American system that has been built on the backs of a lot of minorities. And that's not even known about in the textbooks that we read. Like you have this blurb about, in particular, the African-American, and I should just say the Black, uh, movement here in our country because many people aren't like me you know both my parents are from Africa right so many Americans all they know is America so because it's slave trade and all that we get, get into that but literally the, our textbook when I look at the history textbook it's like slavery one chapter or maybe two pages and then we move on and there's no depiction of what the African um what African Americans have done for so much in this country. it's like I was thinking of I was the book, like, not the book, I'm sorry, the movie, um, Hidden Figures. When that movie came out, I was like, these black women did all this? And no one, we would have never known had it not been a movie. It's just, and there's so many cases oh, yes, it's like amazing. that throughout, just, there's just so many. I can, I mean, like, there's things that I didn't find out, like, about the, I mean, a lot of people don't know that an African-American man um, invented the stoplight. There's just so many things that people don't know about open-heart surgery. There's so many um, inventions and so many, I can't even think of the word right now, but there's so many things that that African-Americans have done, but no one knows about it because of the whitewashing of history and just period of just everything. Everything. um, And I I really see that there's a change because, you know, we do have movies and people are kind of getting woke to that, but we still got a long 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 way to go in education and um and eliminating the the prison you know the school to prison pipeline we got a long way but hopefully you know young people like yourself and people my age my generation um we can start the ball rolling so that your generation can finally close that gap because there is one like major
0: yeah i you know, I was just thinking about this, like in my world history class, I was so surprised at how much like, like no shade to my world history teacher. She's really sweet. And she was, right. and she was using the curriculum given to her, but like, I just noticed, like mm-hmm. it's just so full of European history. And yes. like, like maybe if we do like documents of like notes, I feel like maybe one document out of every lesson is somewhere in like Asia or Africa. And right. is so predominantly white and I feel, s- I feel like there's such an imbalance in like the type of history we're learning.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah, and so like-, like
1: mm-hmm. So yeah. go ahead, let me see.
0: Yeah, and so
2: like to add on to that, like my school, like we, you know, entire February is Black History Month but it was only last week when we actually like as a school addressed that topic and I found it kind of sad because it was like the last week of the month and that's when they're like oh guys Google also celebrates this thing called Black History Month and it was like wow you guys kind of like pushed this out to the end
1: right
2: yeah and like this is like the 21st century and this stuff is still going on so it's definitely not like getting better.
1: Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, and it, like I said, um, it's not getting better. But I think a lot of people in education are getting hit to the fact that it is so like, hey, this you know these sits these are it's a, it's all systemic, and so it's gonna take for people to rewrite the book textbooks. It's gonna take for you know it's so much um, more uh, minority. Um, BIPLC educators and more BIPLC educators writing the textbooks, more BIPLC educators um, being in those administrative roles and roles that where they make the decisions mm-hmm. because all that curriculum is based on someone at the top deciding what we what they're teaching you. And I just think like it was really sad when that insurrection happened. And I talked to, I changed the whole way that I was teaching. Um, communication, my communication class, because of what happened at the Capitol, and not one history teacher spoke about it. And it, Harshita, did they speak about it in any, any of your history classes? No, not at all. Exactly. So when my when I had students say, you know, we never even spoke about this in history. So when students coming up to me saying, Ms. Adiemi, thank you for letting us even talk about this, because that is a perfect time for a history teacher to just stop the lesson or those, you know, the curriculum that has been built to talk about mm-hmm. even what's going on in our country. So it was, it was pretty disheartening that not one of my students, talk, it was talked about not in any class, but mine. Yeah, So uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's the, I think a problem is that we need to encourage storytelling. And even if storytelling is like, especially when it comes to like race and ethnicity, we need to encourage like black communities, minority communities to be comfortable sharing their stories because they've been suppressed for so long. I think a lot of people have this um, idea of like, oh, is my story even worth sharing? It's just a typical, oh, I went to school, I went to college and whatever it is. But like, yeah, I think people need to, we need to like amplify the idea that storytelling, even though like our stories might seem like boring to ourselves, like they actually do have an effect on how things, like how things
1: are like happening. I, I know, love that you said that. Yes, yeah, Archie, you hit it out the mile, and that's true. That's the way of looking at. It. That's one thing I love about teaching speech and debate because it lets people voices get amplified, right? Not exactly. just the norm. Yeah. So it's like you get to get you get to get that ten minutes. Of, to speak your voice about whatever, your story, you let people into your world and how you see the world. And so, yeah, I think more of that is important. And I, uh, God, I hope after I get my PhD and I'm making the decision that mm-hmm. I, you know, train teachers to know that like, the more that kids tell their stories, the more they enjoy that whole education too, as well. So yeah, a lot exactly. of that be changed. Yeah, I completely
0: agree. Um, But um, just another um, question related to like, so this is kind of related to Black Lives Matter and what happened recently. So I just wanted to know, what are your views on Black Lives Matter in terms of intersectionality? Because that's another big issue that we're seeing as more people are like exploring their identity. And do you think this issue is gaining enough
1: attention
0: or do you think it should be further amplified and action should be taken on it?
1: even more than yeah um the BLM movement I definitely am it, and I know why it was began but I feel like we go through these ebbs and flows in our culture right in America especially because like the news don't even get me started on them and I'm talking about all of them I'm really talking about 24-hour news the way they amplify certain stories right and then it's great for that news cycle and then we kind of forget right we don't see people protesting anymore the way we were this summer. We don't see, you know, we do, but they're not necessarily letting us know about it other than the insurrection that happened just recently Mm -hmm. um, before the movement. But now people, I feel like people are getting comfortable again. Like nothing's changed people, (laughs) you know, like nothing has changed. Y'all move the needle. Yeah, everyone is protesting all over the country. I mean, all over the world in particular, especially this summer. After the George Floyd incident and then now it's like when have you heard about a protest or anything so I think we we're so uh, our country is so kind of cyclical and we go through these ebbs and flows and cycles and I just I don't know it's just I don't know I just I just feel like we get bored with the new story and we move on so I don't see the needle moving enough
0: Um, Amishi and I were actually we talked about this last episode we were last episode was also about Black Lives Matter but from kind of Mm -hmm. perspective how we saw it and we really um, talked about this last time the idea that um, it's so cyclical because um, what's sparking this protest is the death right some some awful event is happening and that's when like the protest starts and we were just like discussing how it shouldn't take that spark to um inside change or inside protesting like this should be something that should be steadily you know being acted upon it shouldn't take like some someone's life to you know like inside change and even then it's like it carries on for some time and then it stops just right
1: it's like so wait so now we like I just look around at the process I'm like okay so we haven't done anything to move the needle so y'all waiting for somebody else to die before we start getting mad again why are we still not mad so yeah I totally like Totally agree. And so, I mean, was I able to protest? I think I was out of town. I don't know why I wasn't able to protest. I had, oh, I had camp. So I was working. But I just feel like, yeah, okay, all these people protested, all those people that even protested here in Houston. And just think, I'm just only talking, can only talk about my sphere of influence here in the Houston area. Everybody just moved on with their lives until, of course, there's another martyr. Um, I just feel, I don't know, I know my sphere of confidence is. A sphere of influence is the education sector and so I choose to do what I do in my sector because clearly Americans were so fickle mm-hmm. and on both sides that we forget too soon so yeah you're right what you said how about how cyclical our country is
2: yeah I 100% agree like I feel that like we're all so self-obsessed in our own lives like oh we have this to do that to do that we like forget that there's other people out there who are struggling like a lot more than we are like for example, like I live in the Bay Area and we like to call it the Bay Area bubble because um everything here like is almost always so perfect. And so like I felt like the only reason why people even paid attention to the George Floyd movement was because for the first time everyone was like stopped and they were like, oh, okay, it's COVID. And they actually looked up from themselves. And that was like the first time they're like, oh, wait, there's like stuff like this, which goes on on in the world and like you guys have been talking about that's really sad because like america as a country is known to be like free and like the country of dreams and hope but like really it it's starting to crumble and it's starting to show especially like how you said like yeah. everyone's like
1: forgotten about it right man you said it you said it on the head <laughs> it's so funny that you said Um, that y'all are in this bubble in the bay area which is true like we all have our little bubbles it's important for us to pop our bubbles like me just please please believe that i my wokeness just happened in my late 30s like i was truly in a bubble like i was like you know i'm nigerian american you know you know like I mean, you need to make sure, you know, my my mom is a police officer, so I'm like, you got to follow the police, you know, you got to do what they said, but then I started to see, i was like, wait a minute, when I get pulled over, they don't look like, oh, you're from Nigeria, <laughs> or, you know, your parents are from Nigeria, you have all these degrees, they just don't see a black woman, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it, took, it, took, it took me a while, like, the fact that I look at the youth, you guys, how woke, I like to say, that you guys are compared to where I was, because I was like, you know, I'm educated, and could never happen to me I drive a nice car you know I can go to nice places and I was in a bubble and it's true when we stop we have to bust our bubbles because that is not the case for everyone you know and it's not the case for me if I get pulled over and someone, a cop just you know if I and I'm not gonna say a cop I'm gonna say a bad cop or a bad officer sees me just as a black woman and a threat anything could happen so mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely it's definitely true, our country is definitely cyclical and we, we we get hot on a topic and then we move on so quickly. And it's like, dang, do y'all know? So it's gonna take so, another George Floyd, it's gonna take another Sandra Bland, it's gonna take another Tamir Wright, it's gonna take another Trayvon Martin. Like literally how many hashtags do we need before we pound the pavement all the time? Like I can't pound the pavement, I'm trying to get into the law, you know? So that's my my angle, but we still need people to pound the pavement to so keep keep it on the forefront.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just like, talking more about that, how do you think identity politics affects racial inequality and Black Lives Matter?
1: You said identity, can you say that one more time?
2: So how do you think identity politics affects racial inequality and Black Lives Matter?
1: Mm, oh, that's a good question. <sighs> okay, so um, like I just gave an example of that from what I'm thinking what you're saying. So in the Black community per se you have a lot of, like remember I just told you I gave you a perfect example about I did not think, like I remember when Trayvon was killed was murdered and it took me a while to even know that whole background, one of my students was like I thought, yeah, me, you don't know about Trayvon Martin? Because I don't like watching news that much because it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. So when I figured out about Trayvon, I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Da, da, da. And everyone kind of started on the Trayvon thing, wearing their hoodies and everything. And then of course, every time there was another you know, hashtag, of course I was aware. But even back then, like I said, I thought I was because of all my degrees and because of where I am in life, That I was exempt from all those things, and I think within the Black community, you have a lot of that still. There's a division even within us, right? That some BLM, some people think like, "Oh, BLM," they think like a lot of how the far right thinks that it's like a a terrorist group or whatever. And literally was started by three black women that really didn't even just show their face till last year. So um, I think uh, there's so many ebbs and ebbs and flows because you have it where even some black people think they're exempt, like the way I, I walked around the earth for most of my 30s until I guess it, it was really, was it the George Floyd or, it was really since the pandemic where you're sitting at home and you're just seeing all this on TV, And it would just really hit me like, no, it was before then, but um, I just never thought it could happen to be until something happened with my brother, not too long ago, probably 2019. on the Berkeley campus. So um, it's just, yeah, I mean, nobody's exempt, but it's gonna take the community, not only the black community coming together, but it's gonna take, um, like I keep telling people, we need allies now. It's not, black people ain't gonna be able to do this on their own. When Martin Luther King marched, he, he aligned himself with Cesar Chavez. He aligned himself with all the different minorities because it's really, like I said, it's not, And I don't want to give like the us against them, but it's really like um, uplifting all minorities, not just the black community. Of course, the black community are being disenfranchised the most. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we see the most on television. But other communities, other minority communities get, you know, have hate crimes and things happen to them as well. It's just that the Black Lives Matter is on the forefront right now. Um, And that's what everybody sees, but it's going to take not just, it's going to take allies, a lot of allies. To get into those rooms, to make people understand, like this, there's an injustice, there's a an imbalance. When, like I said, I talked about the uh, the school to prison pipeline. Um, when a group has it only makes up thirteen percent of the country, but makes up almost forty percent of the prison population, there's a problem. And it's not just a like I, I like to say it's not just a racial problem. It's also it's, it's like a inequality and not having enough money, like um, when you have the money in the, in, the, in the criminal justice system, you can get the best lawyers that will tell you not to plea out and things like that. So it's, a, it's like I said, it's a systemic issue. We're not gonna solve it in one podcast uh, interview, but hopefully, like I said, people will listen, people will start to think of ways how they can um, dismantle a system that's been around for over 400 years.
0: Yeah. Definitely, like I'm so about um, all races, like all minorities, kind of need to support each other because I think that's such a big thing. It's not right. black people or like any minority just fight for themselves. They require right. support from like people who are not their ethnicity, like people mm-hmm. to like j- below the surface, like not just skin color. It's like I think um, Amishi and I are both from the South Asian community. And we have seen like, like, again, no shade to our community, but I feel like there are so many people who are more conservative about that. There's so much colorism in India where like, again, that's because of British colonialism, but um, we value the color of light skin so much and there are like skin bleachers in our country. That's such a big industry right now, even though so many people are protesting. And um, even like uncles and aunties or like um, people who I know, they're definitely like, I w- they're, like, they always try to evade this question of race. I feel like all the, in, the younger kids always try to bring this up and then they're, they're like, oh, we don't have to talk about it because they don't want to like say anything bad, but at the same time, they are kind of racist. So I think that uh, narrative needs to change, you know, like minorities need to s- see below, like see deeper than the color of your skin and like really support each other. Yeah. But
2: Yeah, and I for sure second everything which thought is saying. Like I agree with everything what you're saying also. Mm-hmm.
0: But um so on a lighter note, um, who do you think was the most important impactful black hero and why do you think so? Or like who is yours? Oh that's a,
1: that's a big one, man. There's so many. Um, like who was your personal favorite? My personal favorite. Okay, so it's so funny that we talked about we were talking about Black History and the Black. So of course, most people are like, "Oh, Martin Luther King," and you know, I'm like, eh. I feel like that's everyone's. You know, I'm like yeah, I thought like when they talk about Black History, they talk about the same three people: Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, and Frederick no, they don't Mac talk about Malcolm X. Yeah, Frederick Douglass. Oh yes, yes. you know we re- y'all read that in English. <laughs> so um. <laughs> I would say the most my... Okay, so this may be kind of cliche. So I I'm, I kind of like Michelle Obama a lot, a lot, a lot. Yes, <laughs> like a lot, a yes. lot. <laughs> because I think like to me, her time, her eight years in the White House, I know how every time she walked woke up, every time she walked out the door, she had to be on. She had to be perfect. And I just feel like I can only imagine what it felt like when she passed it on to the Trumps, like, yes, I am out of this bubble (laughs) called the White House, like having to be perfect. And I think she just held such a grace in that office. And, you know, despite what some people said about her, like, you know, I just think she just, man, I couldn't do it, like, I couldn't do it. I, I know like being a first is very hard And um, Mm -hmm. I'm a first right now in the speech and debate community. And it's hard, it's like just really hard because it's like, you wanna be perfect. And then when people criticize you or take things the wrong way, it really hurts. Like it really hurts because you're like, but that's not what I meant. And I'm doing this for the betterment of the organization for the country or for in her case, for her husband. And I just think she did a great job. Like when I look, she's smart. And I just, man, I would have to say Michelle Obama. (laughs) I know it's kind of, she's new. And then of course, um, the next person, and notice I'm saying women because I think black women have it. (laughs) It's just an extra. So it's even, you know, there's a lot of weight on us to be perfect. Um, um, And, you know, and it's not even to be perfect. It's to not get the stereotype of being labeled as the angry black woman, because that's what people think, right? When, were when, you know, when my white female counterparts don't get that when they're being, you know, um, when they're in boss, you know, in higher, they might get the B word, you know, um, but they won't get like angry. Angry is just just a horrible connotation. But anyway, um, I would say Michelle Obama, and then of course, like growing up, <laughs> my the person that I idol the most was Oprah Winfrey. And um, mm-hmm. uh, Oprah Winfrey was definitely like, and she's, she's said some things where she's had, she's now changed her heart and it's crazy that she's now changed her mind about things, but um, as well, but you know, as as adults or as a human being, you should always evolve to be better than your former self or yourself 10 or five years ago. So I could definitely say definitely Oprah Winfrey. She's definitely involved. Um, and then um, Michelle Obama are my, my two. yeah, anybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Those are two um very amazing role models out there for everyone. Yeah. I know Hersheita like loves Michelle Obama. She loves she
1: she loves like
2: yeah, it was because of her sheetha I read Michelle Obama's um, autobiography. Oh, yeah, yes, she, she kept on telling me. She's like, you got to read this Amishi. It's amazing. And was <laughs> You're not book. living
1: life yet until you read that book. Yeah. Okay, you are not. For yeah.
2: sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I really like how you picked like female people, especially since this is like a feminist podcast. And like, yeah, 100% agree with you about women being like, they always get the pressure on them because um, people just don't appreciate the fact that they like have to work at home. They have to cook. They have to clean. Aye. Yeah. Yeah. They like,
1: to- we're the only, prof- only like, we're the ones that like have to stop if, you know, people tell us to go on maternity leave or, you know, or tell you, you don't need to get pregnant right now because your career or we're the ones that have to make a choice, basically your career or your kids. And it's like, why can't I have both? You know? And so, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a little bit of a feminist, I can't lie. So yeah, I did think two women. I didn't even think it was like everybody, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a feminist. I just see that how many times, and we're, we're, you know, we, I know we're talking about Black, um, Black History Month, but how many times women get stifled. I mean, the fact that we just got a vice president for the first time, it's like, wow, you know? So yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely <laughs> a big step and like Mm -hmm. giving a lot of people inspiration out there that yes, it's possible. It is possible. Yeah, yeah. and so So talking about your opinions, what do you think is the most important thing people should know about race and Black Lives Matter in different nationalities?
1: The most important thing, okay, like, and I can't say it enough, that the Black Lives Matter movement is not just for Black people. I think people understand it. it starts with Black people, but it's a lot like I said what Martin Luther King did and Malcolm X and so many other people before him. And, and I'm going to tell your podcast people this right now, that they have not watched Judas and the Black Messiah. That is something that can really show you what when you bring all the minorities or people that are disenfranchised together, how you can make a change for the better. Unfortunately, um, person the martyr in that particular movie was murdered but i just think like had he not been murdered at 21 and i'm sorry i'm telling the end of the movie and your podcast people in the movie spoiler alert um (laughs) there's so many things that i just can't only imagine what um fred hampton would have done had his life not been cut short because that's exactly what he was doing even though you know that's one of the misconceptions of that time period that the black panther party movement was bad but it really wasn't. And so um, I think when people align with this, understand what the Black um, Lives BLM movement is all about and align with what it's, I mean, it's for everyone, even though it, ha- it does say Black Lives Matter because that's what's being martyred and being placed. That's what's, that's, those are the people that are being killed, but it's gonna benefit everyone. You know what I mean? To so mm-hmm. put it in act certain things like police reform and, you know, and just the way po- the way policing is done in this, in this country. I think once we, uh, uh, other minorities, like you said, and I love that you talked about the Indian culture and even the East Asian culture, you know, I think people are misconstrued about Black people in general, which is okay. And I yeah. think when they kind of see themselves in those people and we talk about colorism colorism is big in the nigerian community nigerian community as well but and again that's come from the euro the euro you know all of us were colonized by the british <laughs> so you know um uh i think when people start to see themselves in other people then things we could start moving the needle forward or another people struggle yeah.
0: i think that was beautiful and also um, so, um I Kind of moving on. How do you think um, America has changed in terms of embracing like the truth about racism and its actual like how um, how serious is it? Because I know you covered this in your own childhood story, how the um, difference between life in the eighties versus now was so um, drastically different. But like generally, what do you how do, do you think it has improved or do you think people are more woke, I
1: guess, about this topic or is there so long? Uh-huh. Um um so <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> racism in America, huh? I guess it depends on who you ask. Yeah, pretty <laughs> it really depends on who you ask. I mean I think that racism in America now is more covert. Um it's more hidden because of course it's better to be woke. Yeah. Everybody wants to act like they're woke, but they're really not. So I think um, you don't really see like, you're not going to, I mean, hopefully, I, you know, I, look, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. After the insurrection, I, you know, in January, I just, hmm. I just, I think it's just more covert. Racism is more covert now. Um, as in the 60s, you know, you had Jim Crow laws. You knew that everything was separate, right? But now I think it's it's getting better, and yeah, we could say it's getting better because a lot of people like to say, "Well, America's not racist anymore." We had a black president. I hate when people say that. (laughs) I was like, "Y'all know how hard it was for those people when they, you know, I'm gonna say those people, but you know how hard it was for Obama when he was in office. Like, what did he get done? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) So, um, you know, a lot of people like, and then of course now people are definitely gonna say, "Now, no, America is." No, America is, you know, this is where we're hitting our, you know, it's not racist in America, but look at how many people still voted for Trump. <laughs> like, like, it's nuts. I do not believe it. <laughs> he still got 72 million votes. Like the country is so divided right now. I don't even, I mean, like I said, it's just going to take for people to stop seeing things from their point of uh, sphere of reference. And to start to really um, take on, like, look at, to care about their neighbor. Care about the person that did not look like you. Put yourself in that person's shoes. And maybe we can start moving the needle. But again, like I said, this is a systemic thing. And it's going to take, it took 400 years to build. It's going to probably take another 400 years to destroy that yeah. totally
0: makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like a more recent example of this was uh, Colin Kaepernick in yeah. 2013, 2015, Um, when he took a knee during the NFL. And then everyone was just like, oh, my gosh, what? And then the whole movement happened. And then it just kind right. of died out again and i feel like everyone's like forgotten about the fact that he took a knee and he literally said that i'm not gonna stand and salute a country in which people are not treated equally especially since like everyone else who doesn't live in the united states they have such a tainted view of this country they're like oh wow i can come here and do anything like everyone
1: here yeah it's so true everybody trying to come to america not yeah, <laughs> everyone like even in my country, like they really think that like when we walk outside, there's like gold on the ground. And I'm like, no, you got to work here. Capitalist country. You got to work. <laughs> and so like, you know, I mean, and, and one thing, let me not knock America. I'm not going to I don't want to sound like I'm like anti-American. Um, you, It's definitely a country like no other country in the world. And it is a country where you can come from nothing and become anything you want. But let's just be real. Some people are for some people's way to becoming something are easier than others and that's what needs to be solved and that's what yeah. we need to resolve as a country for up.
2: yeah 100 agree with that yeah and so finally what parting message would you like to give our listeners about america and just racism and basically anything you want to tell the listeners about the world today
1: yeah. So I'm just to the listeners and I'm sure the listeners are young female and from all different walks of life. And I'm just, I just say like when you, and I always love to tell my students when I, especially the students that when you make it in whatever you do, like you make it big, you just never need to forget the, the person that didn't have it as easy as you or wasn't able to make it to the top. Like you, um, I think we feel, uh, and instead of being a rich person that just does things for tax purposes really you know you know for tax write offs actually get in there and try to do the work and really help to close the gap because there is a gap truly there is a gap people you know some you know i don't want to say some people have it easier and i'm not saying that but some people are afforded more privileges to things in this country than others and when we finally close that gap it will truly be an America that all of us are proud proud for, proud for, proud of and a true melting pot where, you know, the forefathers, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness is achieved. So, yeah, that's it.
0: Beautiful parting message. Oh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. We should all kind of like work for equity. And I think that's the biggest problem is that people are not willing to put in the work.
1: Right. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. You're so right.
2: Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. I definitely enjoyed listening to you. You gave no some great insights and some things for me to think about for sure. So, thank you
1: so so much. Thank, thank you, you, ladies. Y'all were awesome. Great questions too. I'm like, dang, I got me thinking for real over here. <laughs> great questions. Great questions. I'm I'm looking forward to like hearing more of your podcast this year. So awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: And thank you for doing this in a restaurant. Like I, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)